3: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you. New month. Valentine's Day month. Black History Month. All combined into one. And if that's not enough, if you are a Super Bowl, if you're an NFL fan, (laughs) click. Take two. And if that's not enough, take three. And if that's not enough for you, and just in case you are, you know, kind of been hiding under a rock somewhere, come out and be among us because if you are an NFL fan and if you are living here in Vegas, you know what's going to happen one week Actually, tomorrow, one week from tomorrow, but the whole next week. It's Super Bowl 58. It's happening in Vegas for the very first time. And oh my goodness, the mayhem, the fun, and the foolishness has already begun here. You know, I must admit, I'm not too pleased with the two teams who will be vying for the Super Bowl Cup there. I really wanted Lamar Jackson of the Ravens to go and also Detroit because, you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, Brock Purdy and Mahomes, of course, like both of them. But I just like spreading the wealth, spreading the love, so to speak. And of course, you know, Lamar has never been to our Super Bowl and neither has uh, any of the guys on uh, Detroit. So it would Just been a lot of fun there, but hey, we'll we'll take it. We'll take what we got here, (laughs) okay? All right, let's talk about our guest here. As always, we have some great guests. Uh, we have three. First of all, we have our resident expert on streaming films and television shows, Chris Woolsey, who is the Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. And he will be joining us uh, next when I get through running my mouth here. And he's going to tell us what's popping for the month of February at Crackle.com. I'm just so in love with Crackle.com. Oh, their movies are fun. Their TV shows and they're free. Yes, Crackle.com. So Chris will be joining us to tell us about that. And we also have two very talented filmmakers. First one is Michelle Stevenson. She has a new documentary short titled Black Girls Play, which will kick off our Salute to Black History Month. Now, this film is currently streaming right now as we speak on ESPN+. And we're going to get more into what the film is all about, but it's it's a fun It's it's informative and it's fun and it's entertaining. It's all of that. Film has already won a prestigious award at the Tribeca Film Festival uh, last year. So anyway, Michelle will be telling us more about the film. We'll get more into details. And our second filmmaker is director Joe Ween. And his film is titled Adrift, 76 Days Lost at Sea. And it is also a documentary. It is based on a book of the same title, Adrift, 76 Days Lost at Sea. Now it is a film documentary. It, it is based on an actual incident. could have been a tragic one uh, about a sailor. He is uh, still with us. He's a consultant now to films and a writer. His name is Stephen Callahan. And he was actually lost at sea for 76 days and nights in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean back in 1984, and he lived to tell about it yes, he is still among us here. It's an amazing true story. And uh, you just gotta, if you, maybe some of you out there have already read the book. like I said, this incident incident happened back in 1984, but uh, I'm sure that book is still around. You probably can get it at the library, but it is a fascinating story that actually happened. So our guest again is Joe Ween, and he is the director of the film. Short title is Adrift, 76 Days Lost at Sea. And this film will be premiering next week at the Santa Barbara Film Festivals. Full title, Santa Barbara International Film Festival. My mistake there. So, okay. That is our lineup of guests. So, let's go get some water, get some something something to drink and snack on and such, and let's get right into it. And our first guest, right after this break, will be our good friend Chris Wolsey. So, let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Chris Wolsey. <music> All right, everybody, attention, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and your pets. It is that time to bring on our favorite person around here at Film Festival Radio Show. Of course, we're talking about Chris Woolsey, and he is the Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. And we are going to talk about what's crackling, what's popping, and doing a lot of cool stuff at Crackle.com for the month of February. So, Chris was popping at Crackle for this month.
0: Oh, my gosh. Janice, thank you so much for having me back. We have got a ton of great stuff on Crackle in February. I mean, there's a lot going on this month. For a short month, there's a lot happening. I mean, you've got Valentine's Day. You have Black History Month. You have all the excitement with football. And we have got you covered on all fronts.
3: Let's hear it.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, we, we've we talked before that um, we have a lot of content on Crackle that are either Crackle Originals or Chicken Soup for the Soul original content that you can only see on those streaming services. And this month is no different. Uh, we have a great original feature that is perfect for Valentine's Day. And this is called Love Amongst the Stars. And it's very cute. It's, a, it's about a... a um professor of astronomy named Heidi and she believes that this rare planetary alignment is the key to her getting a world class observatory for her department unfortunately her plans are being derailed by August who is a newly hired and yet oddly charming history professor who is squelching her plans but uh, the story may go that the stars have something written for both of them. It's very cute, starring Sarah Caning from The Vampire Diaries and Patch May from the series Home and Away. Um, if you're just looking for something to curl up on the couch with a, a glass of wine and maybe a significant other, it's very cute, it's really well shot, and it's perfect for a little heartwarming Valentine's um. viewing.
3: So Heidi falls in love. Exactly. <laughs> That's so cute. Okay. Okay. I can take with. Yeah. I mean, smart, brainy people like that, they fall in love too. Thank goodness. Yes. Absolutely. So, okay. And who else is falling in love for the month of February? Uh, one of my favorites.
0: This is one of those ones where I go, man, where did the programming team dig this up? They just pull these gems Uh, and uh, this one is really good. So this is called In the Isles. It's unusual for a number of reasons. It is a German film, um, and it's about two kind of just odd misanthropes who kind of feel like they don't fit in anywhere in the world, and they both work at their local uh, big box grocery store, and they find that while they don't fit in anywhere they fit together rather perfectly and it is a very sweet funny romance it's got that quirky European sensibility to it um it's kind of uh you know odd characters if you like the the films of like Wes Anderson um you're probably gonna love this but uh it stars Franz Rogowski from A Hidden Life but even more exciting Sandra Huller Uh, who was just nominated for Best Actress for Anatomy of a Fall. Um, She is spectacular. And this movie just, these two light up the screen. Uh, Their their relationship is just electric. It's very sweet. In the aisles.
3: In the aisles. Okay, so now we're finding that people in big box retail fall in love too. Okay.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And then uh, another really fun one we have is called The Relation Trip. And this is for all your your viewers out there or your listeners out there who maybe aren't in a committed relationship right now and they feel kind of left out. So this is uh, starring Renee Felice Smith from NCIS Los Angeles and Matt Bush, who was uh, one of the the leads on uh, The Goldbergs, a great series and Nelson Franklin from New Girl. And it's about this, this, uh, a couple of young people who are sick to death about all of uh, the peers around them who are having these ridiculously successful relationships. And they just feel like they've got to get away from this. Um, And so they decide to take a road trip together as air quote, platonic friends. But uh, little do they know that their itinerary for this relation trip is uh, probably going to end up at some sort of city of love.
3: Ah, yes. And I know it will be giving away too much, but let's just say, because I'm a girly girl, somebody out of all these characters, somebody's going to, there's a wedding coming up somewhere.
2: (laughs) We'll just say that.
3: And people have Um, to, to see. They'll just have to stay tuned and see. Okay, so one more for us. Um, let's see one more. Well,
0: okay, so we've got um, we have a black history channel that's going to have a ton of uh documentaries and biopics um to, to help celebrate uh not only uh black culture, the impact uh that it's had on um world history, and then also to celebrate some of the greatest. Uh, black performers in entertainment history. So um, we have uh, movies with Cecily Tyson and Sidney Poitier. We've got a great Bob Marley documentary called Freedom Road. Uh, and you might want to watch that ahead of the Bob Marley biopic that's coming out later this year. Um, but it's really, really good. I highly recommend that. But if I can sneak one more in okay. um, with football and college football. Uh, just being, you know, the 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 tip of the sports spear right now. Um, we have a great cracker original series called Bucket List. And this is starring uh, Brian the Boz Bosworth. Remember? And he do you remember him? Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. Larger him. than life, and yes. he still is. Yeah. And what he does is he tours college football programs around the country, and he uh, interviews players, coaches, and fans, and then lets you decide which program should be on your bucket list to visit during your life.
3: Wow, how interesting. And that so fits the Boz, though, doesn't it? That kind of a
0: show. He was lovely to work with, I have to tell you. He was really great. And the series is awesome. I mean, they do, um, you know, all the big Texas programs. They do Clemson. They do Georgia Bulldogs. They do, of course, the Sooners, because uh, he was a Sooner, but um, all the best programs.
3: Oh, that should be fun. That's a good pre-Super Bowl watch, I think. You know, kind of revved up, even though my two teams are not in the Super Bowl, but we won't discuss that. That's (laughs) that's
0: <laughs> another time yeah there were some there were some
3: upsets for sure. Oh my goodness, but that's okay. I'm gonna carry on. So the boss I'm glad to see the boss is still relevant and people still like him and all of that great stuff. So, he's so charming. yeah, he's ridiculous really is. he really is. So okay so anybody else for crackle.com? Um. Let's
0: see. Yeah, we do. We've got one more that I'm pretty excited about. This is called Walk of Fame, and this is sort of outside of all the categories. Um, this is starring Scott Eastwood from Suicide Squad, who, uh, incidentally, happens to be Clint Eastwood's son. Yeah. Um, and he is phenomenal, and um, it's a very funny comedy about a this motley crew of aspiring performers. Who uh, find themselves in an acting class taught by a rather eccentric and, in all honesty, volatile uh, Malcolm McDowell? Really, really fun stuff. Chris Kattan from the Nine at the Roxbury is in it. Um, great cast. If you've ever taken an acting class, you're, and I took, I've taken more than I care to admit. Um, not that you could tell by my skill level, but. Uh, It is so fun, and you will really get a huge laugh out of it. Um, Walk of Fame, I highly recommend it.
3: Okay, I I really want to see that one, because I have lots of friends who've done the same thing, taken acting lessons, and yeah, I can relate. Yes, I can. So, okay, we can all see all of the above. Crackle.com, totally free, correct?
0: Yes, or you can download the Crackle app from your favorite app store, and you can watch it on your uh, mobile, your tablet, your connected TV, anywhere you want.
3: Can't miss. Cannot miss. You guys have it all covered, all outlets, all and of that. it's for free. Even on the watches. It's free. <laughs> it's just done. So, okay, Chris, we will see you next week for another episode and another edition of whatever people want to call it. I call it Chris and I talking film and television. How about that?
0: There you go. I love it.
3: Okay, we'll see you next week.
0: Look forward to it, Janice.
3: Okay, bye-bye. This has always so much fun to chat with and just a walking wikipedia of knowledge when it comes to films and television he has some of the funniest stories of different celebrities that he's run across just in everyday life chris gotta do a book one day but before we get to our next guest i want to quickly tell you about an audition notice here yeah we haven't forgotten about auditions here so if you are or were Fans of the Golden Girls. I mean, of course, they're now in syndication and we still love them. A nationwide casting call is underway. A major cable network is working with a major production company to put together a new Golden Girls type show. Now, I don't know the title of it, but it will have the same concept and format. They're looking for Female friends, age 65 and above, who are ready to have their own television show. Don't know if it's going to be a sitcom. Don't know if it's going to be a reality show. But either way, you'll have to be on a national TV show. So if you have a group of friends of yours and you are feisty and fun and, and kind of funky there, like the Golden Girls were, you might want to try out for this. Yeah, this is what you need to do. You need to go to this website. It's called creativecontenttv.com forward slash mark golden. Again, creativecontenttv.com forward slash mark golden. And all of the information is right there for you to behold and fill it out and read about it and just Go for it. I think this is wonderful. Oh, my goodness. You may be the next Blanche or, well, people might be Blanche. But anyway, you can possibly be on your own t- TV show. You can possibly be on your own TV. Anyway, you could possibly, uh, if you're selected, get to be on a national television show and just show the world just how cool you and your friends are. Okay. I think that's it. So, okay, let's get back on track and um, let's talk about and bring you the next guest. So we'll be right back with our next guest.
0: This is Drew and Jonathan Scott, the Property Brothers, and you are listening to Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone.
3: Okay, we have our next guest on board here for this segment of Film Festival Radio Show. Her name is Michelle Stevenson and she has a new documentary film that is currently streaming right now as we speak on ESPN+. Plus. The title of the film, short actually to be exact, is Black Girls Play, just in time to usher in uh, the beginning of Black History Month here on our show. Now this film has already been highly acclaimed, it won an award at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival last year. It is now in contention to be on the short list for the upcoming Academy Awards season. So we don't know if it's going to be uh, nominated yet, but it is on the Oscars short list for Best Short Documentary. Well, what is this film about? I can tell you basically here. It is uh, about the, the... It traces the history of... Games that, hand games to be exact, that little black girls such as myself, Michelle, and millions of us out here, hand games that we played and enjoyed as little girls, uh, doing jump rope, sometimes not jump rope. But these little innocent hand games have become a great influence on music, dance, uh, community cultural affairs and events throughout not only North America, as we are going to see with her film, but really throughout the world. So that kind of gives you a summation of what the film is about. But we're going to talk with Michelle. She's going to give us more details about her latest film short. Once again, it's titled Black Girls Play, and it is streaming right this minute on ESPN+. So as soon as this ends, go check it out. So let's take a listen with my conversation with Michelle Stevenson right now.
1: Hi, good morning. How are you?
3: I'm just great here. I'm getting all uh, revved up with some coffee, and that's going to finish the morning for me. So, uh, anyway, thank you so much for this opportunity. And of course, we are about to talk about your new documentary film, Black Girls Play, which is streaming right now on ESPN. So, very insightful uh, film here. So, tell us about Black Girls Play and what it's all about.
1: Well, Black Girls Play uh, chronicles the the deep and expansive influence that the hand games that Black girls play on the playground have influence on American popular culture, from jazz to gospel to hip hop um, to the larger. Uh, popular music and so we chronicle that through looking at the games that they play but also making really deep connections to as far back uh, as Africa before slavery. And so for the benefit it's done in a very entertaining way people uh, have a lot of fun when they watch the short.
3: Oh yes and I will want do want to note that your short uh, is an award winning short, and you have uh, you won best short documentary at the Tribeca Film Festival, and now you're included on the Academy Awards shortlist for best short documentary. That is even bigger. So congratulations!
1: Oh, thank you so much. Very very proud of that, and happy.
3: Oh, I can only imagine. I'm, hard work definitely pays off, especially in this case here. So, okay, when you say hand games, can you describe, for the benefit maybe of people who, would, you know, hand games, I mean, can you describe a little bit for people who don't know exactly what it's all about?
1: Well, when we talk about hand games, which is something that mostly girls play, um, mm-hmm. and Black girls in particular in this case, we're talking about everything from, you know, Miss Mary Mac, uh, all dressed in Black, that's a, a hand game, or slide, numbers, down, down, baby, Um, all of these kinds, as well as invented hand games. They're the games where sometimes two or more circles of girls uh, come together and they're tapping uh, their hands, but also Mm -hmm. singing uh, with it as well. And for us, at the center of that are some pillars of uh, African cultural expression that are particular to our practice. One has to do with the polyrhythm nature, of the hand games it's not very it's we complicate (laughs) the tapping of the hands Um, and then also the call and response aspect to it can be traced back to African traditions and also there's a certain level of individuality that uh, within a collective uh, expression that happens where you know somebody leads in the middle to express something innovative people will copy and then try to build on that and you see that also in in hip-hop, for sure, at jazz. And so we wanted to trace that all the way back and honor the work of Kira Gaunt, who is uh, one of the interviewees in the the film. She wrote a book called The Games Black Girls Play that really connect the dots for us in a really deep way.
3: Now, have you noticed uh, in the researching of the film, are hand games played more in certain regions of the country? Are they played a little differently? Maybe East Coast, like, like rap, East Coast, West Coast, Deep South, or, or what?
1: Well, what's interesting is you see the same games around the country, you also actually see them around the world. We have clips from Brazil, from the Dominican Republic, from Liberia that are playing the same games, but of course with their own twist. So there are definitely sort of regional particularities, but there's something about these games uh, that uh, that form a basis that are played everywhere so that, you know, somebody from the Uh, a young girl from the Caribbean can find someone from Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. And figure out that, oh, there's a hand game that we both play together that are almost the same, but that, that, that we can connect, that we can use and connect with.
3: That is fascinating to see, to know that around the globe, uh, that these hand games are played with, like the title says, black girls play, um, so, are there do you notice are there competitions in hand games, or what?
1: well, i I believe there are. But we didn't really want to focus on the competitive nature of it, even though this is a sports network. ESPN is sort of sort of, working with us to help flip the script on what sports means. And we really wanted to uh, focus on culture and the influence of culture, the influence that play has on culture. Uh, And in this case, the influence that Black girls play has, and how it's really a vessel for retaining um, cultural expressions that under slavery were attempted to be beaten out of us, you know, that somehow as our, one of our experts, Marveline Moore speaks, you know, you get rid of one thing, you take one thing away from us. We're going to, we're going to find a way of expressing it in a different way. And so we wanted to honor that. So there may be some competitions out there, but the film doesn't really focus on the competitive nature of, 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 of the play.
3: This reminds me, I love watching little girls uh, do double dutch jump rope. That is so artistic and fun, just watching them do so. Uh, so, okay, are hand games still popular in this generation or what?
1: Well, I think that uh, there is a notion that sort of these types of expressions that are, you know, that center. These pillars, whether it's, you know, the polyrhythm, dance, innovation, the, um, the call and response aspects of the games have somewhat evolved. I think there is certainly an effort to pass it on from generation to generation. But there is something happening with technology and TikTok where Black girls are leading, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about it in the film. It's a different form of hang games, a different form of of musical expression that's influencing the rest of popular culture, where in some cases, you know, you see other people appropriating some of those innovations and making money out of that. Uh, So for us, it was really important to acknowledge that evolution. Uh, And center the innovation of Black girls in it.
3: And finally, why do you think that hand games became so popular among girls rather than little Black boys?
1: Well, that's a good question. I don't know what the source of it is, but what I do know is there's definitely a gender dynamic on the playground, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. (laughs) we were not allowed to play the the basketball w- with the boys or the soccer or you know or the baseball those were very sort of uh, gendered uh, uh spaces mm-hmm. and so i think that that segregation that obstacle became an opportunity for young girls to innovate uh and to um express themselves and to share And in the film, there are a lot of small stories uh, by, you know, our uh, artists, Jamila Woods and Elena Pinderhughes, who are highlighted uh, in the film, who can trace back to those moments where a level of sisterhood and community uh, was felt um, through uh, the hand games.
3: Kind of like how cornrowing the hair and hair braids was such quilting, all of that was just such a part of our culture uh, down through exactly. generations. Well, again, the film is Black Girls Play. It is streaming right now as we speak on ESPN+. Plus, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed that you bring home that Academy Award when it's time for the uh, the honors there. So thank you for this film. Thank you so much. Okay, take care then. Bye-bye. Okay, my featured guest for this segment is director Joe Ween. And he has a new documentary film, another documentary. I love documentaries here. But the title of the documentary is titled Adrift, 76 Days Lost at Sea. And it is a very captivating film and story. It's an actual true story. This film is set to premiere at the upcoming Santa Barbara Film Festival on February 8th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So Joe will give you more information about the exact location, theater, and all of that great stuff. But let's talk about, for a minute here, uh, about the film. Short title is 76 Days. It is, as I said, a captivating documentary that's based on the book, the book of the same title. The story of Stephen Callahan, he is, and he is still alive, he survived 76 days of being adrift in the mighty Atlantic Ocean. Now, this story happened back in 1984. And Stephen is, is, you know, he's a very, very experienced sailor. And he happens to design his own boats. He had this 21-foot sailboat. He uh, named it the Napoleon Solo. Oh, yeah, the man from Uncle. Yes. Anyway, uh, Stephen Callahan, big adventurer. He had done this trek of sailing from America over to Europe. He had done this before crossing the Atlantic. Like I said, he's a big adventurer. So in his attempt to do it a second time, he made it over to Portugal, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. I should say if the film serves me correctly. Now, for those of you who have read the book, maybe you read the book, but when it was first released uh, several years ago, but the book, the film does follow the book almost to a T. So what happened is that on his way back to America, what happened? Why did he end up 76 days on a raft in the Atlantic Ocean? Well, I don't want to give away everything, but I will say you definitely want to see this film. It is currently hitting the film festival circuit, so we're going to find out from uh, the actual director, Joe Ween, what's next for it. But in the meantime, go to the website 76days.net, 76days.net packed with information, and maybe you're, if you're like me, you're not quite uh, old enough to know and remember the story when it originally uh, took place back in the 1984. So let's bring on director, Joe Wing. Again, the film is adrift, 76 Days, Lost at Sea, and it will be premiering at the Santa Barbara Film Festival on February 8th. So if you are in the area, you plan on uh, checking out everything about the film festival, this is definitely a movie you want to check out. So let's bring Joe Wien on. Right now, I have my next guest on board here. He's a very talented filmmaker, film director, and he has a new film that we are about to discuss. The full title is Adrift 76 Days Lost at Sea. That title alone is going to capture your attention. So please welcome film director, filmmaker Joe Ween. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, now, uh, before we get into the real nitty gritty here, uh, your film short title is 76 Days. I understand it will be making a world premiere at the one and only Santa Barbara International Film Festival. So tell us about when is the premiere date and everything up like that?
2: Uh, The premiere date is February 8th. There will be a second screening on February 12th. Um, The February 8th screening is at 4 p.m. and the February 12th screening is at 8 p.m. Okay um both uh Stephen Callahan and I will be at the uh, the first one and doing a QA afterwards and I will also be at the second one um doing a QA at that one
3: Okay okay great well I know a lot of people have questions for both of you and to further speak of Steve Callahan uh this your film is based on stephen's best selling novel of the same name, and we'll get into the whole story there for people who may not be familiar, but how closely does your film follow the book
2: very um, mm-hmm. you know i I discovered Stephen through the book um and then I and actually years later um when I was re-watching life pie i I saw some similarities in between that what was happening there and then realized that he actually worked on that film and that he was actually still around and active. And that's how I contacted him started talking to him in the first place. Um, but literally we really get into the, um, the details of the story of what happened and which is a, you know, both of, of an incredible, you know, uh, just sort of harrowing story, but also sort of a universal tale of, um, you know, the human spirit and survival and um you know, dealing with struggle,
3: and I mean, this is not just your typical struggle. Uh, Stephen survived seventy six days adrift in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I can't even begin <laughs> to I, I just can't it,
2: exactly. And it's I mean, for sure, it's like it's why I picked up the book in the first place, but I really didn't realize. Uh, I mean, yes, Stephen, his sailboat, he was uh, originally part of the, tra- the uh, transatlantic race. Um, he was so solo, single-handed sailing. Um, he believes it was struck by a whale, his uh, sailboat, which you just see whales, and that happens all the time, especially mm-hmm. at night, uh, which is when his boat went down. So his boat went down, um, uh, you know, not far off from uh, Portugal, um, and he... He was then just stranded on the in his life raft in the middle of the uh, the atlantic ocean uh, and he drifts across the entire atlantic ocean and um the complete ecology develops around his raft and he's able to get food and water and and in and, and he's in a very uh, delicate flotation device that it does that does pop and is leaking air and you know it, oh, it's in the sharks mm-hmm. and it's just you know it's an incredible story. Um, but, but also how he personally handles it and, um, and deals with it is, um, it's a, it's a real universe. It really is. That's what really connected me to the, to the story as an, as someone who doesn't know much about sailing. I mean, he's obviously, he designed his own boats and super experienced, um, sailor, uh, which I am not. And, Mm um, and, and, there was just this real puzzle element of, you know he had these certain things with him on the raft and he kept having to make these choices you know do i use this thing now and i can't use it ever again and it's gone or i could try to turn these two things into this thing and you know and so you're reading the book and you're just sort of following along of well how did you do that would he do that why did you make that choice and, and as i'm trying to visualize it and all this i really wanted to watch a documentary on it you know i really wanted to yeah. see the story i wanted to see this visualization and um And uh, it turns out over a long period of time, I was able to put that together and and make the documentary that I had hoped, which is, you know, it's, I got this, you know, I spent a week with him, uh, Eric Atkins and I spent a week with him and we got this riveting detailed tale, you know, we really got into the nitty gritty of it. And he actually had the original journal that he wrote on the raft and he brings it out and he starts, you know, really re-going over everything and he actually had the the spear gun that he made um he had all these pieces that were still you know part of the original raft that he ended up bringing into the documentary um and we just got into the nitty gritty and i did like i you know i spent like 25 hours with him getting into all this stuff narrowing it down into a film obviously in the end um and then we, uh, he actually had eight millimeter footage of when he crossed the first time. So his first successful cross from America to England, he, he had eight millimeter footage of, which I was able to get a hold of, which shows all the route, his boat, it shows the emergency raft he ended up living in. It's like all this stuff was on the eight millimeter footage. I was, you know, I was really excited about that. And, um, and he had all these old photos. And, um, so I just gathered all this stuff together and put it all together. Um, and we were able to get, um, an original raft all the original equipment um thanks to some very generous uh, donors and the sailing community that was incredibly helpful with this and we went to the virgin islands and were able to shoot these recreations with steven and um, it's kind of a point of view to really show everything that he did so to go along with his story of, of what he went there and Stephen and um and uh roger hatfield were there helping me shoot this but um Stephen made sure that I got all the stuff at the wrap correct all the changes of it he helped rebuild all the you know i had all the all of the equipment that he had there and he helped me reassemble it and put it together in you know and we did it in a chronological order of how he went and you know what his experience was so um it just really i just it's an amazing story um you know both universally and specifically as an adventure story and um, i was i was it was very important to get it super accurate and um, and we did
3: I think it's fascinating that you managed to have the, some of the original uh, equipment and the, uh, like you said, parts of the actual raft its boat itself. I mean, that in itself. And, and his journal. Oh, my goodness. That's even better. In- incredible. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, um,
2: both. He actually still has some of that stuff. And some of it is, um, I believe it's at Mystic Seaport. Some of it's uh, on display, you know, the actual original raft and the original uh, and some of it was just, you know, in his house. We went, and sh- we went to Maine, and um, we shot it actually in his house. So he had it there. Um, the the you know the journal that he kept, you know, he keeps it real safe, and um, I didn't know that that still existed. So uh, that was fascinating, and um you know, and, and took us, you know, to places that maybe the book, you know, doesn't go go into or whatever, different places in the book. Um, but also, it really it really articulates the story it makes it you know like things that you when you're reading it you know he does lots of drawings and stuff in there you can tell he's really trying to visually communicate he's a very visual guy too um, and he wrote it beautifully it's a fantastic book but um you know he's trying to visualize these ideas and it was able to kind of take it to the next level and really just show us you know show us everything and, and bring us there and put us in the raft. um and the the raft that we had is a is a just another raft of the same time period so that, it, you know, matched, you know, this all happened in 1982. So it matched the raft that happened then and the equipment that he actually had at the time. So all of that is accurate. And then the stuff that he has in the interview is the actual original stuff that, that he had with that still survived, you know, most of the stuff. He lost it over the journey, but what survived, he still had.
3: And as you mentioned, uh, this whole, uh, well, I guess you could say, it's a tragedy that had a happy ending because of course, you know, Steven is still with us, but it it happened in 1982. And you, I mean, were you even born in 1982 or what? (laughs) (laughs) I was, yeah, I was very young at that
2: time. Um, And so I, you know, the thing is he, he wrote her, you know, I mean, years later, he, he, he wrote a really great, book about it and um you know i just happened to come across the book and the the story just sounded interesting and and honestly i expected to read a couple chapters just kind of try to figure out okay well how did he survive and didn't expect to be so pulled into the story you know especially as someone that with with no naval experience um but he he you know we we are everybody has to deal with dire circumstances or real serious problems at some point or another, and we have to try to get across the ocean. We have to use what we have to do that. And um, his approach to, okay, what can I, in the long run, what can I do to get to this this raft across here? And in a day-by-day basis, what do I need to do to survive? So he kept having to break down the small and the big. and um, And the way he handled just this big problem it's just something anybody would connect with. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was riveting.
3: And as you stated, it's not like Stephen was a, a trained Navy naval seal or something with all of this, and and to still pull this off. Oh my goodness! Yes, no, no, but he, uh, I will. Stephen's a very, very skilled
2: sailor and, and he didn't go into sailing this in the first place lightly. Like I would have no business to be there in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. he he knows he designed his own boat, he built his own boat, he did uh, you know, he it's it's like trying to, you know, climb Mount Everest. You train for this stuff. Um, and also things happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. and touching the void is a great story, you know, mm-hmm. that that happened along the way that, you know, the human spirit. But um, and when things happen, it was it was how he handled himself that I thought was particularly incredible. But he 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 does know he does know the water. And he was like he was even just this little like there's a little tent over the raft and a little like and he's doing whatever he can to angle it to get whatever kind of you know wind current that over a long period of time could possibly affect. And he's constantly trying to, um, you know, in his journal, keep keep track of where he thinks he is and where he hopes he is and he's got a like he's only has so he's got like this ePerb at the time which had only so much battery life on it he's switching it on and off switching it on and off at times when he thinks maybe there's a chance someone will you know hear him and it's it's just so many little things that he has that he has to make do and you know he's constantly thinking, okay i think i could survive a week i think and then it's like well it didn't, now you got to go longer what are you going to do i think i could survive 2 weeks i think i could survive a month if i do this maybe i could survive longer and then how do and then i have to find other ways to get water what can i do to get water and and, and you know it's also just a fascinating thing about life just that while he's out there earth provided for him you know barnacles developed on the bottom of the raft and fish were attracted to the barnacles and he's able to get to the fish and then birds came because of that and like there's this whole world that developed you know he he called the ducky bill that developed on this raft and he's able to be this aquatic caveman that can survive in that
3: that's a very good description aquatic caveman that's exactly yeah. what that was i just the fact that the mental toughness that he had that's what would have gotten me the, the, my mentality, my mental state would have probably, especially each when it got night time. Oh, goodness, yes, and he gets attacked by sharks
2: at night. I mean, it, it gets, it gets, re- and there's storms, you know, weather changes, and I, uh, you know, uh. That's what, you know, same with me. Like I'm like, okay, you can't help but vicariously put yourself in a position. You're like, well, what would I do? How would I handle that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, do you give up or do you keep going? And do you handle the situation? Um, so he, and he, does. he, he fails too. I mean, there's lots of little things that he does wrong and that he, you know, he, he just keeps going and he has to like, learn to forgive himself to, to keep pushing forward.
3: Oh, goodness. As I said earlier, I know the Q&A with the two of you after the first screening on February 8th at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. The Q&A is going to go on for hours because I I mean... I am. I saw the film, and I still got a lot of questions. So okay, good. It's good. Well, okay. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you followed the book, uh, very closely with the with the film. Uh, are there any portions of the book that you were unable to reenact, or what?
2: Uh, no. We, you know, we we got it. You know, we it it took years to do this, um, and we definitely didn't. Nobody wanted this to happen without it being without it without us really getting this film so um we got it, it it's all there. i think that um uh, i'm very excited to share it
3: oh i don't blame you. now is this the first big film festival for the, uh, a premiere for your film
2: yes so we, we wrapped recently um patrick stump who is the lead singer of fall Out boy he scored all the music for this and um, he did an amazing job and, and wrapped that up and um there's a really cool song that he um, has that will you'll hear it for the first time actually at the at the mm-hmm. film festival that he's got in the credits that um, allowed us to um, to kind of finish and polish this film up and and we're uh, this is this is our launch.
3: Now that's another big achievement. Fallout Boy. That is. Hey, that's a group. Yeah, group. no, he's amazing and. Um, uh, and he's
2: just an incredible um, musician um and he's you know he's moving into scoring films and he, he's coming out like a rocket um he's just so incredible he's an incredible musician very really excited that he decided to become part of this he he, he really loved the story and i had uh, worked with him in the past on music videos and we're friends and that kind of thing and um, uh, and it was an opportunity i think he felt like to um to also show what he could do and uh uh, and there was so much I don't know, so much range and there's so much emotional internal stuff as well as the adventure part of it, that I think it I think it was a real challenge and it's great. The music of so good is so good,
3: oh, yeah, like I said, Fallout Boys, that's a group right there. They're very yeah. of course very, very good. but now, you yeah. let's let's look at your career for a minute. It's, it's, Great body of work. You've done so much work, music videos, commercials, and such. I saw where a variety magazine has you on their top 10 screenwriters to watch list. So um, what was it like transferring from smaller projects like music videos and commercials to going into something major like this?
2: Yeah, it, it, it was a challenge. <laughs> you know, like, um, it's something I've been trying to do it for a while with stuff that I've been uh uh writing it's not easy to get to attach yourself to direct stuff that you write um most it was just important to me to tell i felt it's a long journey to do this um so i really wanted to tell something that um meant something to me and then I, I felt like if i really was attracted to it and liked the story that other people you know i'm not that different from anybody else though people will like it um and uh You know, luckily I have a really great group of like uh, friends and associates and just Titans that were able to kind of come in and and help me with this, Um, you know, DPs and sound guys and stuff. um, You know, the the small crew that we had was an incredibly muscular crew. So I was very fortunate to have everybody that was a part of it. And it was a chance to do this. So um, I went for it.
3: And did you ever come up with a big catch, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> you really yeah, did exactly. I really enjoyed it. It kept me on the edge of my seat. It's like, oh, great! My goodness. And, so again, the you. film is uh, adrift, seventy six days lost at sea, and again, it premieres Thursday, February eight, four p.m. Pacific, at uh, the Fiesta Theater at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival.
2: Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're going by 76 days. Yeah. Um, the, uh, look forward to seeing people there.
3: Absolutely. And there was a Q&A to follow once again, everybody. Now, what about a website for the film, social media handles, any of that kind of stuff or what? Yes.
2: Uh, 76days.net. 76days.net is the website. Uh, and please join us on Instagram. There's a mailing list. Uh, we're on Facebook and you can get links to all that from the website. Um, and we're keeping updates for... You know, obviously, future screenings, uh, streaming, anything, any other ways to see it, um, that's the way to go. Check us out. Yeah,
3: this is a good one for networks like Hulu and Netflix. Uh, they should they should grab. There should be a bidding war for it between <laughs> those you. two because this <laughs> is right down their alley. So we'll find out and see here. And finally, since you, as I said, you have been... Uh, placed on Variety Magazine's top 10 screenwriters to watch. Are you writing and working on something else?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I am still writing scripts, uh, I different scripts in different uh, stages of development. Um, so, yes, I still, I'm still writing stuff at the same time. Um, but I also, as, particularly after doing this, I very much would like to do more documentaries, too. This was an incredibly rewarding uh, experience. Um, it is it is hard, you know. And, you know, you're you're dealing usually with limited resources and stuff. Um, but but it was very freeing, and you know, I hope to get to do this again too.
3: Well, you did a wonderful and excellent job. So, thank you for this film. I'm a huge fan of documentaries, and so I said, "Oh, this is right down my little tacky alley here." <laughs> but I loved it, and I'm so glad it had a happy ending too. Oh my goodness! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, again, Joe, thank you so much for the chat and thank you for your film. And everybody go to the Santa B, as they call it for short, Santa Barbara International Film Festival next week. So we will hopefully see you next project.
2: Thank you, Janice. I really appreciate it.
3: OK, take care then. Bye bye. You
2: too. Right. Bye bye.
3: OK, we are so out of time here. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, again, that film. 76 Days is a short title, and it's really fascinating. So again, thank you to everybody for joining us. We're going to sign off here because we're running out of time as always, but we'll be back next Saturday. We'll get more into the mayhem, fun, and foolishness of Super Bowl time. So have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you guys next Saturday. Take care. Bye-bye.